Well, happy Father's Day, dads. To all of you out there, I hope that you have an awesome Father's Day today. Uh, I want us to know that in our day and time, let me start over, that is actually distracting, that's going to be tough. I thought it wasn't going to be, it is. (laughs) It's like I start talking and it's like, yeah, that was, as soon as I started talking, they started. Okay, gotcha. All right, that's good to know too. Thank you. All right, we're ready? We'll break our vows together in Carnassian. Did you tell them they were the Lord's chiefs? <laughs> All right. All right, I can hear Stephen. I don't know if I'm supposed to, but I can. All right, we're good, PD. All right, let's do it. Well, happy Father's Day to all you dads out there. Dads are called to lead their families, to lead their families spiritually, according to Scripture we see, because we've been given a responsibility from God to be the spiritual leader in our home. But maybe today on Father's Day, you're a single mom, or maybe you're a person who's living with an unbelieving spouse. Perhaps you're a single person. Maybe you're a widower. Maybe you're a grandparent. Whatever role you have, understand that regardless of your family of origin or what uh, structure of a family you may be in, that as a part of the family of God, we need to learn how to lead our families well. And as we learn how to do this, we need to be mindful that in our day and age, we are, of course, living in the last days, in the end times, and we want to talk today about how to lead our families during the end times, because we all have a role to play with the influence and the responsibilities God has been giving us. But what types of things should we be doing? Second Timothy was Paul's letter to help explain to the young minister how to deal with false teachers, how to deal with social pressures, and how to deal with the anxiety that living in the last days can bring. So just as Paul instructed Timothy on how to deal with leading the church as an elder, I believe that these same principles apply to leading your family in the last days as well. So we're going to stay anchored today in 2 Timothy, and we're going to start in 2 Timothy chapter 2. And let's go ahead and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2 and start in verse 8, and we're going to read through verse 17 to get things kicked off. Paul writes this to the young elder, Timothy. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Verse 14, remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed 
rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hermonius and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. But God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are His, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. As we read this opening text here, we see that the Apostle Paul is trying to help Timothy to stay rooted and grounded during what's happening all around him. Because there's false teaching, there's a lot of pressure, and he's trying to help him to stay anchored in the gospel. And I believe the same is true of our families, that the gospel must be clearly communicated and understood by our families. It should be the rock, it should be the anchor that we are able to navigate the challenges of our day because we're raising children and bringing up families and perhaps investing in grandchildren, brothers, sisters, friends, whatever the case may be, maybe a a small group. We're trying to invest truth in people to help them to navigate what's happening in the world around us. And obviously we can look around and see that there are a lot of crazy things happening in our day and age, and people have a lot of questions of how do I, how do I weather this storm? Well, what, do I, what do I do? How do I continue to move forward? And if we understand the gospel, if we have a clear understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ, if it's been communicated, if it's been understood, it will help us to be anchored. It may not be believed by everyone in your family, but it must be communicated and it must be understood. And I think that it's our responsibility to be able to communicate to our families, to our friends, to those we uh, have been given responsibility to, to, to steward influence with, that we share with them the truth of the gospel in a way that they can clearly understand it. And if you want a quick summary of the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, you can go to our website at wog.church. And under the Connect tab in the website menu is a thorough explanation of the gospel by the late minister R.C. Sproul. And I'm going to just read this directly from our website. And uh, it's just under a tab called the gospel under the the Connect section. And this is what R.C. Sproul said. There is no greater message to be heard than that which we call the gospel. But as important as that is, it is often given to massive distortions or oversimplifications. People think they're preaching the gospel to you when they tell you, you can have a purpose to your life, or that you can have meaning to your life, or that you can have a personal relationship with Jesus. All of those things are true, and they're all important, but they don't get to the heart of the gospel. The gospel is called the good news because it addresses the most serious problem that you and I have as human beings. And that problem is simply this, God is holy and he is just and I am not. And at the end of my life, I'm going to stand before a just and holy God and I will be judged. And I'll be judged either on the basis of my own righteousness or lack of it, or the righteousness of another. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus lived a life of perfect righteousness, of perfect obedience to God, not for his own well-being, but for his people. He has done for me what I couldn't possibly do for myself. But not only has he lived that life of perfect obedience, 
he offered himself as a perfect sacrifice to satisfy the justice and the righteousness of God. The great misconception in our day is this, that God isn't concerned to protect his own integrity. He's a kind of wishy-washy deity who just waves a wand of forgiveness over everybody. No, for God to forgive you is a very costly matter. It costs the sacrifice of his own son. So valuable was that sacrifice that God pronounced it valuable by raising him from the dead so that Christ died for us, he was raised for our justification. So the gospel is something objective. It is the message of who Jesus is and what he did. And it is also has a sub subjective dimension. How are the benefits of Jesus subjectively appropriated to us? How do I get it? The Bible makes it clear that we are justified not by our works, not by our efforts, not by our deeds, but by faith and by faith alone. The only way you can receive the benefit of Christ's life and death is by putting your trust in him and in him alone. You do that, you're declared just by God. You're adopted into his family. You're forgiven of all your sins and you have begun your pilgrimage for eternity. I love that description of the gospel because so many people just think that uh, the gospel means the Bible or people think that the gospel just maybe means Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and they don't truly understand the gospel. That word means good news. It is the message of Christ dying for us. It is the message in which we put our faith and our hope. And when we stay anchored in that, and it's been clearly communicated and understood, it helps us to weather any storm that this world may face because it helps keep our mind set on eternity. It helps keep our heart positioned in a way where we understand we're living to glorify God, even in the middle of trials, even in the middle of temptation, even in the middle of difficulties. And so if you don't have a clear understanding of the gospel, you need to spend significant time growing in your understanding of the gospel and clearly communicating it to your family. Again, not everybody's going to believe. I understand that. We want all of our loved ones to believe the gospel. But it's not our job to make them believe. That's where the Holy Spirit comes in and opens eyes and draws them and helps them to see. But at the same time, it is our job and our responsibility to present. It is our job to clearly communicate. I want to make sure that me, as a father, as a husband, that in my home, that it won't be said that my children don't understand the gospel, that they don't understand their need for Christ and the weight of what Christ has done. That responsibility is mine, and I need to make sure that I clearly communicate it in a way that it's understood, that gives them the opportunity to be able to respond, to see the value in it, and also to see it lived out. To see the fact that we're living out the gospel in front of them by the way that we act, by where we turn to during the middle of trials, during the middle of challenges. Uh, what are we anchored in? What helps us weather the storm? Are our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith? Or are we just trying to create some uh, type of nirvana situation on earth where everything is just uh, peaceful and wonderful in our lives because we're such good people and we're just living in these wonderful times? No, it, it, it's not about just creating this ideal world. It's instead being anchored to hope by faith, no matter whether I find myself in a favorable situation that may be presenting me a, a life that may be easy, may be comfortable, or whether I'm right in the middle of difficulty, challenges, or persecution. We see all of this 
throughout the New Testament. And we see that Paul is trying to encourage Timothy in the middle of a, a just a, a huge, huge cultural shifting of someone trying to present the gospel and others trying to sway people from the gospel by introducing this false heretical teaching. And he's reminding Timothy, hold fast to what's true. Stay anchored. Be a person who's rightly dividing the truth, that's communicating the truth. Hold fast to what you know and what I've taught you and what I've shown you. Go over to Romans chapter 5, and let's read another thing that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Rome. Let's read Romans 5, verse 1 through 11. He says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows us His love that in while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. I think Romans chapter 5, verse 1 through 11 is a great place to start, to begin to think on, to share with your family, to begin to clearly communicate the gospel. Use the resource that I read on the website. Make sure you yourself understand the gospel. Make sure you understand and can give a reason for, as Peter said, the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Make sure that it's communicated to your children the need that we have because at the right time, Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. Not when we got our act together, not when we figured it all out, not when we became these model citizens and he said, okay, now you've qualified yourself for me to be able to die for you. No, right in the middle of all of our junk, right in the middle of all of our shame, all of our sin, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. And it's such a beautiful picture of what God has done through Christ by reconciling us to Himself, that's got to be communicated. That's got to be understood if we're going to continue to persevere through the last days, if we're going to continue to uh, be anchored in the truth. Because in our day and age, it's really popular to try to use the Bible to just tell people how to have a better, happier, wonderful life. And there are things in Scripture that are true that if you follow those guidelines that, yes, you may experience a life that may be better than if you had not applied those principles. That, that is true. But the purpose of the Scripture is not just to communicate to you how you can apply principles to make your situation in life better. That's not the purpose. And if that's all we ever teach, if that's all we ever point people to, we're doing them a great disservice 
because we're making the Bible all about us and how to improve our lives, and we're not anchoring people in the hope that we have in Christ. And when the smallest amount of persecution, when the smallest amount of trial, when the smallest amount of adversity comes, people are lost and don't know what to do because they've just been taught how to have a happier life and how to do better and how to apply principles, and they haven't been taught Jesus Christ, and they haven't been taught the value of Christ, and so they have no anchor to help them to navigate and weather persecution and adversity. They're just looking for another principle to help them fix their current situation, and their mind is not even set on eternal things. Jesus made it very clear. Don't lay up your treasures in this earth where the moth can come in and ruin it, or where rust can come and and tarnish it, or where a thief can come and destroy it but instead lay up your treasure in heaven. Don't seek the things of this world. Instead, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these other things will be taken care of. Don't worry about today. Don't worry about those things. Don't worry about what's happening in the world. Stay anchored in Christ. Stay aware, yes. Stay aware. Be mindful. Help others by pointing them to Jesus. But you need to have a solid, clear understanding to help you anchor uh, through every trial, through every storm. So the first thing we need to do leading our family during the end times is to make sure the gospel is clearly understood and communicated regularly, regularly. The next thing is this. We need to guard our family against false teaching and continue to point their hearts towards loving God. There are so many voices out there, and there's going to be so many things that your family has the opportunity to just jump on, all sorts of bandwagons, all sorts of popular ideas. Just because someone or something is popular doesn't legitimize it. Just because someone has been given a big platform and has a book that's really just flying off the shelves doesn't mean they're legitimate. Just because they've got a million followers on Instagram doesn't mean that they're somehow legitimate. It just means they've got a really big platform and they could be sincere. They could be a person that's genuinely sincere with what they're saying. They, they, they may not be intentionally trying to be deceptive, but it still doesn't mean that their teaching is correct. It doesn't mean that it's healthy. It doesn't mean that it's good because it can begin to divert our attention away from the hope we have in Christ and we begin to think about ourselves and focus on ourselves and not focus on eternity and on Jesus and what really matters. And Paul was warning Timothy against this. Second Timothy, let's go back to the scripture, chapter 3. Let's look at verse 1 and let's read through the third chapter and we'll read through the first five verses of the fourth chapter. Paul says this to Timothy, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women but are, that are burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to come at a knowledge of the truth. 
Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was of those two men. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from your childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Paul saying, remember the gospel. All Scripture, verse 16, is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Chapter 4, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by the appearing and his kingdom to preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. But as for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering through the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. Man, if that passage of text we just read in chapter 3 and the first few verses of chapter 4 aren't relevant for leading our families and our churches in this day and age. Man, I don't know what text is relevant. As we're sitting there reading through the laundry list of all of the things that are going to be happening in the last days, we see a ramping up of that in our world. We see that that's coming very, very uh, close to where we're beginning to feel the pressures of that, that now all of a sudden our our safety, our security, our stability, all of those things are being threatened because those things are ramping up. And it's just now touching us who are in America, and we're beginning to feel that. And out of that, there's going to arise false messages. There's going to arise false teachers. There's going to arise people who are, who are trying to divert us away from the hope that we have in Christ. So what did Paul tell Timothy? He said, when you start to see these things, don't get swayed. Stay anchored in the truth. He said, remember the sacred writings because they will help you to put your faith in Christ. They will help you stay anchored. Remember the gospel. That's why it's so important that it's communicated and understood because there's so many voices out there and it's going to have a form of godliness. It's going to look good. It's going to look like it's God and it might even be stamped with the name of our God, but, it's, but there's no power to it. There's no substance to it. It's just got a form. It's just a shell. It's just like the the church in Sardis in Revelation. Uh, When we read last week as we're going through this series, the church that had the reputation of being alive, but in fact it was actually dead. They thought they were good. They thought they had everything buttoned up, but actually they were dead. There's a form of godliness, but there's no power. Some people are putting their hope and their security and their trust in the wrong things. 
He said, just like the, the, the story where, where, where Jonathan Jambres came to try to deceive and, and to distract Moses and the people of God, he said, that same thing's happening to you, Timothy, and the same thing's happening to your family. The same thing's happening to churches all over the world. And we need to be aware of it. We need to respond the same way Paul instructed Timothy. He said, be ready. Do the stuff you're supposed to be doing. Do, do the work of, of an evangelist. What is the work of an evangelist? To go and share and proclaim the gospel. That's the work of the evangelist. To go and to, get, to, to, to help people to find that straight and narrow path. To find Jesus. To share that hope. He said, do that work. Do that work of an evangelist. Be sober-minded. Stay anchored in the truth. And just because someone has a large platform and their message may make you feel good, it doesn't mean that it's legit. You have to test everything with Scripture. Because as we see Paul's warning to Timothy, he said, people are actually going to acquire teachers. They're going to heap upon themselves, I think King James says. They're going to bring in teachers that are going to help satisfy their itching ears, that tell them the things they want to hear. Oh, I don't like what that pastor says, or I don't like what that speaker says. I'll go find someone who does. And there are more opportunities for people to have a platform in our day and age than ever before have existed in the history of man. I mean, we've all seen and read the blogs, the Facebook, the Instagram, uh, the, the YouTube channels, and everybody that can afford a microphone and an internet connection and a phone or a computer can have a platform. And that's not even counting the people who are using their influence in other ways. But man, there's a, there's a loud megaphone that people are using to share their thoughts in our day and age. And that megaphone is getting louder and louder and it's causing tensions and it's causing disagreements and it's causing all sorts of challenges. And how do we weather that? How do we instruct our families to weather that? How do we lead through times like this? We have to guard. We have to guard our hearts and our families against false teaching, against those things that, oh, I like the way that sounds. Okay, I understand that you like it, but is it true? Is it anchored in the gospel? Have you weighted against scripture? That's why it's important for us to lead well and understand this is part of our responsibility. It's not just the pastor's job, it's every one of us have a responsibility to test things against Scripture. Thank God for His Word. Thank God for giving us the Holy Spirit to help us to discern, to be able to know what is of God and what's not from God. And how you grow in that is you have to invest the Word of God in your family by spending time in it together. This will equip your family to be able to stand in the face of persecutions, in the face of challenges, in the face of trials and false teachings. You have to be anchored in the Scripture. And according to Scripture, discernment happens through asking God for wisdom. If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask because God gives it freely. Fasting. Sometimes we need to fast to be able to discern. Praying and asking God. Asking the Lord uh, to uh, help us to discern with a group because the scripture says that there is wisdom in a multitude of counselors. So asking a God-fearing, God-honoring, God-serving group of people, not just people who are going to tell you what you want to hear, honest people who fear the Lord and who serve Him and who love Him, 
and who have their faith anchored in Jesus and who are modeling things that are godly and God-honoring, asking them to help you to discern. That's part of the discernment process and properly handling Scripture in context, which is what we try to teach you to do here at Word of Grace. All of those things are able to help us to be able to grow that muscle of discernment. So again, asking God for wisdom, fasting and prayer, godly counsel, and also making sure that we are handling Scripture in context. Those are some of the the strongest ways that I know of, according to Scripture, how we could be able to discern truth and, and lead ourselves and our families well. These are muscles that should always constantly be uh, under development in the life of a Christ follower. Uh, it's not that you've reached the apex and you can just kind of coast. No, you should always be aware. You should always be uh, growing in this. And Scripture speaks to the need to grow in this area. Go over to Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 14. Hebrews 5 and 14 The writer of Hebrews says this, solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. It says right here that those who understand what's good, what's solid, who can handle solid food, not just the milk, but solid food, they're mature. And the reason they're mature is because they've exercised their ability to discern by training it, by practicing it. So it's something that we are required and called to get better at, and that's how we get better at it, by working with a Christ-centered community, by investing in handling Scripture correctly, by asking questions, by fasting and prayer, by getting to know the real God. And as we get to know Him, as we serve Him, as we love Him, we begin to know His heart, and we begin to know the things that are from God. And when things come along that are not of the Lord, and things that may have a form of godliness but no power, you'll be able to pick those things out a lot more quickly because you're growing in that. Never stop growing in that ability to discern, especially those of us who have been given the responsibility to lead our families. It's your responsibility, Dad, to be a discerner in your home. Or it's a responsibility, grandfather or whoever may be that person who has been given that influence and that responsibility it's your responsibility to step up and to do that, to make sure that you're uh, rightly handling the word of truth. And I think that we need to grow in that to be able to lead our families well, especially during these days. The next thing is that we want to prioritize family prayer as a way to deepen our dependence on God. It's one of our core values at Word of Grace. We prioritize prayer because we believe when we pray, we deepen our dependence on God. And you as a family need to be a family that prioritizes prayer because it deepens your dependence on God. The family that prays together stays together, and you know that it is true because it rhymes. In other words, prayer matters, folks. Praying out loud matters because remember what the Apostle Paul said to Timothy with what we just read. He said, you've seen my example. You've seen how I've endured You've seen how I've lived. You've seen the things that I have valued. That's why praying out loud with your family, it does matter. Yes, there is a personal aspect of prayer, but if you have been given the responsibility to lead in your family, there's a public responsibility as well as a personal responsibility. You have to grow in this. 
It's not negotiable because they need to see what is important. They need to see these things modeled and you need to grow. If it's uncomfortable for you, keep working at it and developing and training that muscle to where you move past your discomfort because you're more concerned about leading your family well than you are what other people may think about you or getting it right or saying all the words right, whatever the case may be. Start where you're at. If it's a family meal, start by praying out loud over the family meal. Even if it's a memorized prayer, I, I, I don't care. Start somewhere and begin to push yourself beyond what's comfortable because you're called to lead. And, and it's not just the church's job to do all of this for you. No, the church's job is, as Ephesians 4 and 11 says, to equip you for the work of the ministry. And can I tell you that there is no more important ministry that you will ever lead than that of your family? And so if that's your primary ministry that God has called you to before any other platform that God may give you or whatever gift he may give you, lead your family well. Teach them how to pray your kids need to hear dad praying out loud and talking to God in the home. Maybe praying before you leave for vacation, praying for safety, praying for everyone to be healthy and to have a good time and for us to see something great about God during our time together or praying over situations that the family's concerned about instead of just hearing about the bad day at work or the bad day at school or the challenge that you know, the kid may have with the, the neighbor's kid or whatever, why don't you, instead of just listening and offering solutions, why don't you deepen the family's dependence on God and say, well, why don't we pray together about this right now? Uh, when people come up to me and they begin to share with me challenges, if I'm where I can, and most of the time I try to do this, uh, and they ask me for prayer, I, I kind of throw them off a little bit and just say, can we pray about it right now? Let's just do it right now. I don't want to forget. I don't want to get too busy and get distracted. I want to let you know I care about you, right? And people are like, oh, 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 okay, yeah, sure. But when we're done praying, they always are grateful that we stopped in that moment and prayed. And sometimes God begins to minister peace to them right there in that moment just by knowing they're not alone and knowing someone prayed for them and petitioned God on their behalf and loves them and cares about them. Folks, we need to step up our prayer lives. We need to continue to grow and to prioritize prayer. Pray, pray for healing when someone is sick. Ask God, Lord, I, I want to believe for healing and trust you and ask you to move in this situation. And we want to deepen our dependence on God. We want to pray over major decisions or things that we may be faced with. Pray together as a family. Pray out loud. You have to be a family that is going to prioritize prayer if you want to be able to weather the storms that the enemy wants to throw your way, especially as evil begins to ramp up in the world and challenges begin to ramp up in the world, uh, it's so important. We have to be people that prioritize and teach these things in our homes and in our families. The next thing is we want to talk about what's happening in the world with our family and remind them to be anchored in the hope we have in Christ. Talk about the things that are going on. It's okay. You can talk to them about the racial injustices that may be plaguing our society and the different ways people may be responding, and then talk about how God would have us as Christ followers respond. 
You can talk to them about uh, things that are happening in politics and political divisions and share with them those things and let them know how a Christ follower is supposed to respond to these things happening in the world, how important it is for us to stay anchored in the hope we have in Christ. Point them back to Christ as the answer every time something shakes, even if it's shaking you, even if it's shaking your faith, even if it's making you nervous. Not that you're being fake, but you're saying, I struggle. These things make me nervous and uncomfortable too. COVID-19, it made all of us uncomfortable. It may still be making some of us very uncomfortable. But where do we turn? Are we looking to the, uh, the doctors and the medical professionals to give us hope? Is that where we turn to say, well, if they come up with a cure, then I'll be able to finally sleep well at night? No. Is our hope in our president? Is our hope in our governor? Is our hope in uh, our, our, our community? No. We can be aware of what's going on. We can listen to those things and talk about them. But every time, we should be brought back to a place of anchoring our hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you have to lead your family through those times. You have to remind them of those times. In our home, we sat down and talked about the coronavirus. We talked about George Floyd. And we talked about the rioting and the protests and the racial injustice. And we had awesome conversations with our kids about how Jesus is the hope for every angry, afraid, hurt, and confused person in the world. We talked about that. And we talked about our role it's supposed to be a light in the darkness. And by pointing people to Jesus and stayed anchored in our purpose, we bring it all back to Jesus. And that's what we discuss in our family. And we need to lead our families in such a way. Yes, we need to hear these things from a stage and uh, preached in a church or, or maybe in your home having a, a church service. You need to hear those things in those environments. But family, mom, dad, your family needs to hear it from you too not just from the pastor, from you. And so I want to equip you to know what your role is and your responsibility is so you can keep your family's heart focused on Jesus during these crazy times that we find ourselves in. I think that a great story to use as an illustration that you could use for your family is when Jesus was in the boat asleep in the middle of the storm in Mark chapter 4, write this down, Mark chapter 4, verse 35 through 40. Remember, all the disciples, they were in the boat, Jesus was in the bottom of the boat asleep. He was just chilling out, and all of a sudden a storm arose. And remember, a lot of those disciples were professional fishermen, and they knew when a storm was bad. It wasn't your average storm because they had weathered a lot of storms because they spent a lot of time in a boat and a lot of time on the water. That's what they did before Christ called them as disciples. So if there's a storm that made them nervous, it was bad. It was a bad storm. And then they're wondering, where's Jesus? And he was asleep, and they couldn't believe he was asleep. It freaked them out that he was asleep. They got so nervous that he was asleep that they woke him up out of his restful sleep and said, Jesus, there's a storm. Do something about it. Use your authority. Use your power. Do something about it. What's going to happen? Oh, no. And Jesus gets up and just speaks to the storm, and it dies down. And then he looks at his disciples and says, ye of little faith. What does that mean? Well, some people think that it means that the disciples were supposed to have faith to calm the storm, but I don't think that's what Jesus was communicating. 
I believe the greater message that Jesus was communicating to the disciples was not what they should have done, but they should have been able to rest and trust that if he's with them, that he's God in the flesh, he's, he's, he's Jesus, he's the Messiah, he's not going to put them in a situation, no matter how dark that it may look, where they are going to be without hope. They should have been able to say, there's a huge storm, but I know who's in the boat with me. And maybe that story would be a great illustration to help you stay anchored and to be full of faith during times where things look out of control, they look chaotic. It may seem like Jesus isn't awake and doing something about it, and we want him to do something about it, but he's still with us, and he'll never leave us or forsake us, and that should give us peace in the middle of chaos happening around us. Even if it's chaos that we want to control, chaos that we want to do something about. No, it's not about us doing something. It's about resting and trusting in Christ and putting our hope in Him and pointing others to Him as the source of hope in the middle of the storm and in the middle of the calm. He's still Lord over all. Maybe that would be a great illustration to help you remind your family to be anchored in Christ during challenging times. Another great response to bad things happening in our world for the Christian is Romans chapter 13, verse 9 through 14. This is another thing you can use for your family. Write that down. Romans 13, 9 through 14. Uh, the Apostle Paul gives this list. We'll read it here in just a moment. But discuss these things and how it impacts how we live in these times because Paul is trying to tell the Christians in Rome how someone who has been transformed by the power of Jesus Christ, he's, he's, he's telling them this is the type of fruit that we should be uh, displaying. This is the way we're to think that's more in line with what will honor and please God. So Romans chapter 13 uh, and verse 9 says this. Um, Romans chapter 12 and I, I said verse chapter 13. Um, I meant chapter 12. I'm sorry. Romans chapter 12 and verse 9. Paul says, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Behold, beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Why does it say it'll, it'll be like heaping burning coals on his head? Because it, he wants you to respond. Your enemy wants you to respond and get into conflict. And when you don't, it drives him nuts. I'm not going to respond. I'm not going to jump into this heated debate. I'm not going to keep arguing with you on Facebook. And when you don't do that, that, you're not giving them what they want because people love to be right. Don't do that. This isn't the, these are the ways that a Christ follower is supposed to act. Yes, let your love be genuine. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another. 
in trying to show honor. There's so much wisdom in there about how to navigate these times. Use that. Romans chapter 12. I'm sorry, I said 13 earlier, but Romans 12, verse 9 through 14, that should help you to navigate and talk about that as a family. How do we do that? What does that look like for us as a family? What are situations where you have been successful and both unsuccessful in doing that? These will help your family to be anchored in the hope we have in Christ during the times that we're facing. And the last thing is keep your family connected to gospel-centered community. It's so vitally important. Hebrews 10 and verse 25 says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves, especially as you see the day of the Lord approaching, especially as the end times are coming more and more near. And every day that we live here on this earth, we see that uh, the end of the, the days that we know are, are coming to an end. And we have to be a type of people who are gathering together, prioritizing worshiping in the house of God, prioritizing being with other believers, prioritizing being connected in groups like what we have at church, a community group, or at a connect site, or with other friends around coffee and scripture, and, and assembling together to worship. It's so vitally important because we need to remember we're not alone. We need to remember that we're not the only one. We're not the, the special one that you know, has got it all figured out, and oh, poor old me, no, no, no. Uh, the enemy would love to make you feel alone. The enemy would love to make you feel like you're, you're, uh, you're all by yourself. But when we gather together, we go, oh, yeah, that's right. I'm not alone. Oh, yeah, that's right. There are other believers. There are brothers and sisters in Christ. When we're together in Christ, it reminds us to worship together and to, man, it just, it, it fills our hearts and does us good. It challenges us, brings us to places of corporate repentance and corporate obedience and corporate declarations of, of, of following Jesus and, and, and how valuable he is. And it just creates an atmosphere of community and connection. And it gives us the opportunity to be a light to the world together corporately. And it's just a beautiful thing. And so as a family, one of the ways you can lead your family during the end times is not neglecting the assembling. I know there's a lot of other things that would want to pull at your attention and your time but make it a priority and show your family the priority of connecting to Christ-centered community. It's so vitally important. This is part of leading your family well. So as you communicate the gospel, as you're guarding your family against false teaching, as you're prioritizing prayer, as you're talking about what's going on in the world and staying anchored in Christ, remember to keep gathering together with others. Remember to stay connected. I believe as you do, I believe you'll lead your family well. Can't do this in our own strength. So let's ask the Lord to guide us through this. So Jesus, thank you so much for what you've done in us and through us. Thank you so much for your goodness and your mercy so present in our lives. We pray that you would help us to continue to grow in trusting you more. Help us to lead our families well. Let us not put our confidence in our own ability, but let us seek you, Lord, to lead in a way that will honor you because we're wanting to serve you and please you. And without faith, it's impossible to do that. So help us to deepen our faith and our service to you and our love for you. We want to honor you with the way we lead our families. Help us to do that, to stay anchored in you. In Jesus' name, amen.